Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, the blood covenant that God made with his people, reconciliation, and drawing near to the Lord. Exodus 24. Now, just as a quick side note, I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the title, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that I am working diligently on getting this study finished and put online. So if you want it in writing, it shouldn't be too terribly much longer. I will let you know whenever I get it done, but keep checking on the website. Now, last week we talked about how God is with his people. He told Moses that he was going to send them into the promised land, but they would not go alone. He would be sending his angel with them. And if you happen to miss that episode, you might want to go back and listen to it because we talked about the unknown of our futures and how it is difficult to enter the unknown places when we don't have any idea what to expect. But God does know what to expect. It's not unknown to him. And he is always with us. And he goes and prepares a place for us just as he did the Israelites all those years ago. We also talked about obeying him and trusting him while we wait for whatever his plan is for our lives to be fulfilled. That's all he asked the Israelites to do is just obey him and trust him. And so we need to do the same. So that's where we left off last week with God telling Moses that he will send them into the land and he will drive out all the people that are there and let them possess that land. So today we're going to read chapter 24, and we'll begin by just reading the first eight verses. It says, Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So I said we were going to do one through eight, but let's just stop right here and identify who these people are. God says, I've been talking to just you, Moses, but I want you to go back down and I want you to get Aaron and then his two, we assume oldest sons because he has four sons. It just names two of them, Nadab and Abihu, and then the 70 elders of Israel. And we're assuming that these are the judges that Moses appointed whenever his father-in-law Jethro said, hey, you know, you can't take care of all of this yourself. You need to appoint some helpers. We're assuming that these are the men that he's talking about there, the ones that he elected to help him judge the people. So God said, you go down and get Aaron, his two oldest sons, and those 70 elders and bring them up with you. He says, only you are going to come really near me, but they're going to get to come closer to me than the people are. The people cannot even step foot on this mountain, remember, but God's going to allow these 74 people, including Moses, 
to set foot on the mountain. And then Moses is going to be able to go up even further and be more in the presence of God than the rest of them. Okay, so let's go ahead and continue reading beginning in verse 3. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrifice, peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Okay, so this is a very strange ceremony to us. But what happened is Moses went down and told the people everything that God had been telling him the entire time. So if you'll remember, we skipped all of the words that God was telling Moses on the mountain because we're going to go back and study the laws in a separate study. I want to stay with the narrative right now and then we'll get on the laws later. But these are the laws that God gave Moses beginning at the end of chapter 20 all the way through chapter 23. It was the Ten Commandments that he had already spoken to the people, plus civil laws and then things that had to do with worship. And then he ended by telling Moses, you know, I'm going to send you into the promised land and I'm going to send an angel with you and ahead of you to prepare the way. And so Moses went down and told the people all of the things that God said. And when he told the people, they said, we agree to that. We will do those things. And so Moses wrote all of the things down, all the Ten Commandments and all the laws and instructions that God had given him so far. And then he got up the next morning and he built an altar. Then he built 12 pillars around the altar. And that was representing the 12 tribes of Israel, showing that the entire nation was entering this covenant relationship with God. Every single tribe was represented and they surrounded that altar. And so this covenant ceremony that they're about to enter into, it's showing that every single person in Israel is agreeing to that because each person is represented by one of the pillars. And then it says he sent young men of the children of Israel to offer the sacrifices. Now, later, God will dedicate the service of the temple to the priests that are in the tribe of Levi. But right now, they don't have that. That hasn't happened yet. And so we assume that these young men are probably the firstborn sons that had been dedicated to God because the ones that are dedicated to the service of God are the ones that do the offerings later on, which are the priests. And so if you'll remember, whenever the firstborn sons of Egypt were killed, I did not kill your firstborn sons. You were able to sacrifice a lamb instead. But since I did not take your firstborn sons, I want you to freely give them to me as a living sacrifice, something that is given to me as a service to me. And so those are probably the young men that he's talking about that are offering these sacrifices. 
Now, we're going to get into how the sacrifices were done and all of that, again, in a later study. But just briefly, I want to tell you that the burnt offerings, it says they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Burnt offerings were to be completely burned up on the altar. They completely turned ash. And then the peace offerings were animals that were cooked so that they could eat them. And so that's what they did here. They burned up some of the animals and then they cooked the rest of them so that they could have a meal with the Lord. And then it says Moses took half of the blood from these animals and he poured it on the altar. And then he takes the book of the covenant, which is the book that he had written all of the laws and the instructions of the Lord in, and he read it to the people. And after he read this to the people, then they said, yes, we will do this. We will be obedient to these words. So they're not just sacrificing these animals for food and worship. They're having an entire ceremony as they enter into this covenant with the Lord. And so this would be similar to what would happen in a marriage. Two people get together like it was at the first, whenever Moses came down and he said, these are all the words that God spoke to me. And the people said, yes, I'll do them. And he says, okay, I'm going to write them in a book. And then I'm going to make you pledge to the things that are written down that everybody can see. And so that's kind of the same thing that we do in a marriage. We say, yes, I want to pledge my life to this person to stay with them and love them and cherish them and all of those things. We say that, but then we make it binding. We do a public ceremony where we have all those things spoken out loud and we agree to those things. And then we sign the certificate saying that we have agreed to certain terms and we profess those things publicly to each other. And so that's what they're doing here. Moses says, will you agree to this? And they said, yes. And he said, okay, I'm going to go write it down. And then we're going to have a ceremony where you publicly profess that you will obey these things that I've written. And so they sacrifice these animals. He reads this. And then after he reads this in the hearing of the people, the people say, we will do all of those things. We will be obedient. And once that happens, then Moses does something completely foreign to us, right? This definitely does not happen in our marriage ceremonies or any other kind of ceremony because we would not be happy. But he sprinkles the blood, the other half of the blood on the people after they vow to obey these laws that the Lord has given them. And he says, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you according to all these words. And so this makes everything binding. And one of the reasons that I love studying the Old Testament is because everything points to Jesus, but it gives us a picture. If we would have just been sent Jesus in the beginning, we would not have had a complete picture of what God was doing through him. And so he demonstrates all of those things in the Old Testament for us so that when Jesus comes, everything makes more sense. And so this is a picture of what eventually happens with us because we do not make animal sacrifices today because Jesus came to be our sacrifice for every single person once for all. But the process is the same. And so when we hear the word of God and we vow to make him the Lord of our lives, 
That's what they did. They vowed to make him the Lord of their lives because they said, we will obey what he says, which means we will do what the boss says. We will do what the Lord of our life, the one in charge of our life tells us to do. And so they are making a public profession, a verbal agreement that God will be their Lord. They did this when they heard the word of God. And so whenever we hear God speaking to us and we listen and we say, yes, we want you to be the Lord of our lives. We will obey the things that you have asked of us and we will let you be in charge of us. And when we also accept the sacrifice that was offered on behalf of our sin, like they did. That's why the blood was sprinkled on them is because it showed we accept this sacrifice on our behalf. And now we're covered in its blood. And that's what happens with Jesus. Whenever we accept the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf, then we are covered in his blood. And so we don't thankfully have to be physically covered in blood anymore. But again, this is a picture for us and for them that would eventually point the people to the Lord Jesus. And so when they vowed to make God Lord of their life, then they were sprinkled with that blood showing that they accepted that sacrifice. And so when we accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on behalf of our sin, then we are covered in his blood. And when God looked at the people and saw that they were covered in the blood of the sacrifice, then he says, okay, they've entered this covenant with me. They've accepted the sacrifice made on their behalf. And so their sins are covered. And that's the same for us. Now, when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Jesus. And so he knows that we have accepted the sacrifice made on behalf of us. And then he is able to see Jesus's righteousness whenever he looks at us, instead of seeing the sin that he would see on us if we weren't covered in Jesus's blood. And that sin completely separates us from him. And so that makes us reconciled to him and brings peace between us and God And that allows us to enter into a relationship with him. And so these people did the exact same thing here that we do to be reconciled to God today. They heard the words and they said, yes, we will do those things. Vowing to make God the Lord of their life and the blood of those sacrifices covered them at the speaking of, yes, I will make you the Lord of my life. Then that showed that they accepted those sacrifices made on their behalf and they were covered in that blood and reconciled to God. So same with us today. Whenever we hear the word of God, And we promise to make him the Lord of our lives and obey that word and let him be in charge of us forever and ever and accept the sacrifice that Jesus made on behalf of our sin, recognizing that we cannot do it ourselves and our sin completely separates us until that point. Then we're covered in his blood and God looks at us and sees his righteousness and not the sin that separates us and we're reconciled to God. There is peace between the two of us now, and we have entered a covenant relationship with him just as the people did on that day with Moses. Listen to what it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So with your mouth you confess that he is the Lord of your life, and then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Believe in the sacrifice that he made for you, and that he conquered that death for you, and then you will be saved. That's what that says. Also Romans 4, 5 through 8. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. This is what David said. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So he says, it's not because of the work that we've done, but because we believe in the one that justified us. We believe in Jesus who reconciled us and made peace between us and God. It's that that saves us. And then he says, the person is blessed when his lawless deeds are forgiven and his sins are covered. So our sins are covered in the blood of Jesus. And then it says, the Lord does not impute our sin to us. And that's because our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. So I just want to say today, before we move on, if this is something that you have not done, if upon hearing this word of the Lord, you are willing to promise him that you will make him the Lord of your life, that you will obey the words in this Bible, and that you will do, you will let him be in charge of your life. If you're willing to say that, And if you believe that Jesus came to this earth to die for you because you are a sinner and you cannot be good enough on your own and you need Jesus to be the righteousness for you and you're willing to accept the sacrifice that he made on your behalf, you believe that he came to this earth as a perfect man that was able to die for our sins, able to impute his righteousness on us and that he rose from that death then you're covered in his blood. Make that public profession of faith and be covered in his blood so that God can look at you and see Jesus's righteousness instead of the sin that separates you so that you can be reconciled to God and enter this same covenant relationship with him that the people did all those years ago. If you've not done that, then do that today. Okay, let's move on and read what happens with the people next. After Moses has done this covenant ceremony with the people, it says in verse 9, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the seventy elders of Israel, and they saw the Lord God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he didn't lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. So after he had done this covenant ceremony with the people, then he and the other 73 people that God told to come up on the mountain went up on the mountain. And it says that they saw the Lord and they enjoyed a meal with him. Most likely this is the meal that they just had cooked, the peace offering that they had sacrificed. And they enjoy that meal with the Lord on the foot of the mountain. Now, later on, we'll read that God tells Moses that no man can see his face and live. So we assume that they did not see God fully at this moment, but they definitely did experience his presence in some way, his physical presence in some way. And most likely they saw mostly his feet. 
He was probably covered in this cloud somewhat. And they mostly saw his feet because the only thing that they describe is his feet. It says under his feet were a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. So it was like a sapphire path that was just as clear as the sky. Sapphire is blue. And so said that the path that he stood on was blue and as clear as the sky. And so most likely that's pretty much what they saw. But they knew that this was God. He was sitting with them and having a meal with them. And what's so awesome about this is that normally God's presence would be so powerful that people would not be able to stand in it and live. But they didn't feel the wrath of this almighty God that was encountering sinful men because they had just entered into this relationship of fellowship with him because of the blood of the sacrifices and their profession to make him their Lord. And so they were able to enter into his presence And it says the nobles of the children of Israel, God didn't lay his hand on them. So he didn't harm them with his wrath because they'd been reconciled to him, which is just a wonderful picture. They had been allowed near him because of this covenant relationship that they just entered. And so again, just like them, we no longer have to stay afar off from God. We don't have to be fearful to approach this holy, almighty God because we have made him the Lord of our lives and accepted the sacrifice of his son. And so now we can draw into a fellowship relationship with him, just the same as these 74 people did. Listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So because of Jesus... We are called into the fellowship with the Lord God. How awesome is that? These people right here were experiencing something that none of the rest of them had gotten to experience. They were experiencing fellowship with God and not enduring his wrath. And we can do the same. Remember another lesson we talked about how our mediator is better than their mediator. Moses could get them right there, that close to the Lord. But Jesus can get us all the way to the throne of grace. What an awesome day it was for those people. Okay, so now we're going to read the rest of the chapter beginning in verse 12. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you the tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up on the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And then on the seventh day he called Moses out of the midst into the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went up into the midst of the cloud and went into the mountain, and he was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So after the 74 of them had enjoyed the meal with the Lord, Moses sent Aaron and Adab and Abihu and the 70 elders, which apparently also included her, sent them down the mountain and said, you guys go back down the mountain, me and Joshua, which is his assistant for now and later becomes the leader of Israel after Moses dies. He says, all of you except for me and Joshua, I want y'all to go back down the mountain 
and stay with the people. And if anybody needs anything, they can go to Aaron or her. And me and Joshua, we're going to go up on top of this mountain and speak with the Lord. And so then it says that the glory cloud rested on the mountain for six days and Moses and Joshua stayed outside of it. And it wasn't until the seventh day that God called to Moses and told him to come to him. And you know, the seventh day is the day that represents completeness because that's the last day of the week. God worked on six days and on the seventh day he rested and that completed the week. And so day seven is considered the complete holy day of the Lord. And on that day, he called Moses to come into his presence. That's the Lord's day. And it doesn't say whether Joshua entered this cloud with him or not, but most likely Joshua was just outside the cloud and Moses is the only one that entered it. But we're not sure exactly about that. We know that Joshua went at least part of the way, if not all of the way with Moses. And it says to the people, the glory cloud looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And God's glory is often described like this, consuming, bright, awesome light. Remember that the first time that God appeared to Moses was in the burning bush, but the bush didn't burn up. It said there was a bush and it appeared to be on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. And so that burning bush was on top of Mount Sinai at this exact same place. So that's how God had appeared to Moses in the beginning is a consuming fire within that bush. And now that is exactly what the people are seeing also. And so it says that Moses and Joshua stayed on top of the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights while Aaron and her were leading the people. And while he's on top of this mountain, he is going to receive the Ten Commandments that are written on the stone by the finger of God and then further instructions about the temple and worship. And we, again, are going to skip over these instructions for the tabernacle and the worship and all of that because we're going to go over those in a separate study. And so we're going to end our lesson here with Moses going up onto the mountain and staying there for the 40 days while Aaron and her are down with the people. And we will skip chapters 25 all the way to chapter 32. And so we'll begin in chapter 32 with the story of the golden calf next week. So make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review wherever you're listening. Please also leave comments. I'd love to hear what y'all are thinking about these studies. If you would like to email me, my email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. Thanks and have a good day. Mm-hmm.